Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and last week we ended in verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, just to remind you, is to be sorry for who you are and what you are. And it was necessary for Paul to preach repentance to the Gentiles because they would have been worshipping many gods. And it was important for them to know that there's only one God. And faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. He's only your Lord when you're born again. You don't receive him by some automatic uh, default. You need to be born again. And then he becomes your Lord. But let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul, like Jesus, was called to suffer. And if you've been saved for any length of time, if you do any kind of ministry work, you're going to suffer. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, that you can be defensive for some time, but eventually you need to be offensive, meaning you need to go out and do something. You are told to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So if you are inactive, if you are passive, that may be okay for a period of time, but eventually you need to be active. You need to be on the move, on the go. And here, Paul knows that the Holy Ghost is witnessing in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And yet it didn't bother him. He wasn't concerned. He knew that if Christ suffered, if all the apostles suffered, he would need to do so as well. Look at 24, please. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God, which was given to Paul, is faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift. You get it by receiving the Lord as your saviour. And he keeps you saved, but... You are expected to be holy. You are expected to live a certain way. And uh, somebody once said you can fall inboard concerning your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can never fall overboard concerning your salvation. But I like it what he says in 24, but none of these things move me. I'm not bothered. I'm already saved. I've been to the third heaven. I'm going to write most of the New Testament. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I don't even care if I die, he says. Absent from the body to be present with the Lord, so that I might finish my course with joy. There's no doubt that Paul's life, his ministry, was unique just to Paul. He could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I couldn't say that. I wouldn't say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. In fact, I don't know many people that I'd follow to the local bus stop and back. And yet Paul could say that because Paul was an apostle. Look at 25, please. Now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, Shall see my face no more. It's time for Paul to move on. He was a man on a mission. He was a man with a ministry. And uh, what he forgot, we will never know. The Lord Jesus Christ would commend John. He would tell you that those that were born of women, there wasn't anyone greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, of course, was a cousin of the Lord. And yet, on one occasion, John stumbled over Christ. He would say to his own apostles... Go and find out from Jesus, is he the one that we should be looking for? Or is there someone else that is going to come? He couldn't understand why Jesus, as the Jewish Messiah, was being treated with such contempt. Now, he should have known, of course, because the prophets of old were treated with contempt 
On top of that, he thought Christ would come and initiate the kingdom straight away, which of course was incorrect. And that goes back to earlier messages I've made over the last 11 months or so that progressive revelation not only is found in Revelation and Acts of the Apostles, but also in the Gospels. And that's why John was incorrect and the Lord rebuked him for that. Well, John was called the best, the best of the best. And he was weak. And Paul, as far as I'm concerned, was the chief of all the apostles. And yet he would tell you that he was the least to be called, the last to be selected. And yet he was the greatest. 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Not many people can say that. I was watching a well-known preacher being interviewed about six months ago, an American preacher who lives in England now, and he's around 80 now, I think. He's up in years. And he was asked, what is your legacy? What difference do you think you have made in your ministry to the UK? And he looked at the camera, looked at the interviewer, looked at the audience, and he said, "Uh, if I'm honest, I don't think I've made any difference at all. I don't think I've made any difference to the UK. I don't think I've had any legacy or leave any legacy to the UK. Pretty honest words. Here's a man, 50 years in the ministry, 28 years in London, preaching. And when it comes down to it, in his own mind anyway, as far as he is aware, he's left no legacy whatsoever. And I think one of the reasons for that is probably because he was preaching to the choir over the last 50 years. And that's why we, at this ministry, try and encourage the brothers to go out and preach in their streets if they can or give out tracts if they can, or get a sign and hold up in their towns and cities. It's one thing to do what we're doing this morning on the Lord's Day, to read the Word of God, to try and understand it, to worship our great God in spirit and in truth, but there's something altogether different when it comes to witnessing to souls, witnessing to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and winning souls to Him. You know, as I said before, it's one thing to talk to God about men, but you try talking to men about God. That sets the boys and the you know the boys and the men. That separates the true men from the boys, or the men from the boys. And here, Paul could tell you how he was pure of the blood of all men, which also takes me back to an earlier message I made that we are responsible to get the gospel out. We are going to be judged at the judgment seats of the Lord as to what we did once we were saved. I saw a picture on Facebook of a missionary that had gone to Africa, and the the caption on the photograph was. She's travelled 6,000 miles to preach to the Africans, but did she ever witness to her neighbours? Now, we don't know whether she did or not, but I got the gist of the message. What they were saying is, how can it be possible that some people will travel thousands of miles to preach the gospel, sometimes at their own cost, and yet their own neighbours don't even know they're believers. They haven't even witnessed their own neighbours. It makes you think, doesn't it? So Paul were to tell you here in 26, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, How much more are we going to be held up for not being able to say the same thing? It's food for thought, isn't it? Now, we know we're not responsible to get people saved. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. But like postmen, we are responsible to get the gospel out. Once we deliver the gospel, once we present the gospel, if they open the letter, if they respond to the gospel, that's between them and the Lord. But we are going to be held accountable, I believe, for not witnessing to our friends, family, neighbours and colleagues. 27. If I've not shunned... To declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God would be the oracles of God. Genesis to Revelation. When you speak to people in the streets, if you do, if you do any kind of outreach, you don't preach the entire counsel of God to unsaved people. 
You should be careful. You should be uh, diplomatic. You should be uh, wise when it comes to what you tell people who aren't saved. Because if you give too much gospel, if you give too much Bible to an unsaved person, not only are you risking the potential to cast your pearls before swine, but on top of that, you may overload them. On top of that, they are spiritually dead. They can't perceive what you are telling them. So I think those that do street work, and I do street work myself, the best thing to do is just to preach the basic gospel to people. On top of that, I don't think you should be speaking about the rapture to unsaved people or eschatology. I think a lot of Christians have got caught up over recent months and years about the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and who's the Antichrist, who's the false prophet, how about the two witnesses, and they sometimes include this sacred subject with unsaved people. And I think that's foolish. That's just for the church. That's not for the world. In fact, the word of God is for the church, not for the world. Until you're born again, this book is a closed book to you. So when it says how he didn't shun, he didn't neglect to declare unto them, the church of Ephesus, being the elders, of course, all the counsel of God, that's just what he means. This is a briefing. This is a teaching. This is a, a summary of Paul's ministry to the church at Ephesus. Look at 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's a great scripture to share with the JW. I remember speaking to a couple of JWs some months ago and I took them to this piece of scripture and I said to this uh, mother and daughter pair, how about this? I showed this piece of scripture to this uh, mother and daughter that had been in their religion all their life. They didn't know anything else. And I asked them to explain this to me. And within a flash, she got her tablet out, went to their Greek interlinear. They are quite organized, by the way, the JWs. If you don't know, you might be surprised. And uh, she tried to bamboozle me with her knowledge of Greek, which was pretty limited. In fact, I've noticed over the years that most people who think they know Greek can't even recite the Greek alphabet and yet they like to throw words around to give the impression that they know what they're talking about and I told her to switch her tablet off and just tell me what this piece of scripture means from the King James and she couldn't do it because for them the idea that Jesus was God and is God is abhorrent but to us it's a great blessing take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers the context here is eldership, not the one-man pastor, to feed the church of God through teaching, through preaching, and also through setting a godly example, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Who hung on the cross? Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus Christ, therefore, must be God. You can't draw any other conclusion from this piece of scripture. And I've heard some people from the oneness camp suggest that Jesus Christ is God the Father. And that somehow God the Father died on a cross. That's foolish. Jesus Christ would pray to God the Father. There's an account in John chapter 12 when God the Father speaks to God the Son on the earth. And those around the Son of God thought that it thundered. Some thought an angel spake to him. It was God the Father speaking to God the Son. That's also found in Matthew chapter 3. That my beloved Son, hear him. I'm well pleased in him. Whatever he says to you, do it. Many accounts in scripture where God the Father would testify to God the Son. Even Mary, John chapter 2, would testify to God the Son. But I think Acts twenty twenty eight is one of the greatest scriptures when it comes to the deity. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are saved by his precious blood. Never let anybody tell you otherwise. But here, the scripture from 29 going down, I'll read it shortly, is going to mirror the Old Testament. If I look at 29, I'll come back to that thought. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Such enemies of the cross are going to come from within, not without. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You think of these denominations, and sometimes these denominations feel like cults, sects. And yes, of course, there are saved people, no doubt, in such places, but the enemy is going to come from within. I can't stress that enough. And sometimes we look around and we see wickedness from the political realm, from the entertainment realm, from the secular realm in general, and yet many times the enemy is within. And I sometimes watch Christian television, quote-unquote, and I'm appalled at what I see. I see Christian celebrities, men and women, and they are preaching, so-called, and some of the symbols that you see on television is quite shocking. Like the devil horn, um, the one eye, the pyramid. And that's why if you are new to Christianity, be very careful what you watch and what you listen to. But 30, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. Peter would tell you in Second Peter 2, 1, how false teachers would arrive in the last days and preach pernicious doctrine. They would preach false teachings. They'd make merchandise amongst you. And we got that very much today. To draw away disciples after them. And I think to myself, the Gnostics, no doubt would be in mind, a group which taught around the late first century, early second century, that there was truth outside of scripture. And that if you wanted to know the truth, you needed the scripture and the Gnostics. And then here we are 2,000 years later, you've got the Catholic Church preaching the same message. Tradition and the scripture. And when the two clash, and they do, the church becomes a final authority. Being the church of Rome, of course. That's heresy. Look at 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was a very emotional man. Christ wept over Jerusalem. You'll be told in uh, Romans chapter 10 how the Lord would stretch out his arm all day long to a gainsaying people. Many times we forget that God is a God of love and his love for the church is unconditional. It's like a parent's love. A parent's love for their child is unconditional. Many times we think of God as this angry being that is just waiting to get the stick out and give us a good hiding. And sometimes that comes. We were told in Hebrews that those that he loves, he will chastise. We were told in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, that he prunes those that are his to bring forth more fruit. But he doesn't just sit back and lash out for the fun of it. Many times he will discipline those of us which are saved to cause us to bring forth more fruit. But here, Paul, as a brother... An elder tells you, by the space of three years, incredible, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Concerning verses 29 and 30, 
He saw the day coming when enemies would come from within the church and devour the church, destroy it from within. And I think of cults today, I think of false religions today, which claim to be Christian and yet are teaching heresies, blasphemies, and as a result are damning souls to hell. This is how serious this is. You might be saved, but that's no guarantee that somebody won't come along later and mess you up, cause you to become a heretic. But one more time, you can fall inboard, but you never fall overboard. And I think it was Billy Sunday who once said that the saved man will many times fall in the mud, pitch of sin, roll around in the mud, enjoy his sin for a season, but eventually he gets up, dusts himself off, confesses his sins, and continues on with the Lord until the next time he falls into the mud and does it all over again. So on the one hand, yes, we are saved. Yes, we are redeemed. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean we're not going to be easily swayed into the camp of heretics. Hence, we need the word of God to stay on the right path. Look at 32, please. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. This term, inheritance, probably concerns the millennial kingdom, which is conditional on what you do after you are saved. We were told in John 3 that you can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born again. So on the one hand, once you are born again, you are in the kingdom of God, but to rule and reign in it will be conditional on what you did after you were saved. 33. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He wasn't interested in such people's wealth. Unlike so-called Christian television. Unlike so-called Christian radio. In fact, I watched a broadcast this morning of a ministry on television. And it's a 30-minute broadcast. It goes every Sunday morning. Why I watch it, I do not know. But I watched it this morning. And the first six minutes, the preacher comes on. And he speaks about his subject. And you got 90 seconds of commercials. You got about four minutes or so of the so-called preaching. And then another 90 seconds of commercials. Phone this number and get a copy of this book. No obligation. It's free. But of course, once you get on their main list, they start to write to you every month. Please stand with us here. Please stand with us there. We need money for this. We need money for that. Such people, of course, are making merchandise amongst the brethren. One more time, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, read it. I've coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He wasn't interested in their money. He was interested in their souls. And Paul was such a unique man. The early church had nothing. There was no Bank of Nazareth. There were no Learjets in the first century. Most of the apostles died in poverty. But let's keep reading on, please. 34, yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that with me. He worked for a living. And yet he would tell you in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that had he wanted to be supported with gifts, he could have done. He was entitled to receive financial help. In fact, you were told in Luke chapter 8 how the Lord Jesus Christ was supported with financial gifts. There's about four or five women that I mentioned in Luke chapter 8. And I think that Peter, James and John were probably supported with gifts, but Paul said, no, I won't do that. Although I'm allowed to, I'm going to refrain from that. I think one of the reasons for that was because Paul's ministry was more visible. He was more recognized. He had more enemies. The Jews hated him, and the Gentiles were probably suspicious of him. And therefore he thought to avoid any 
claim any suggestion of contamination or selfishness or greed, I'm not going to take any financial support. And yet, at the end of Acts of the Apostles, you'll read that Paul was under house arrest for two years. And it speaks about how he paid rent or he was able to live in rented accommodation for those two years. Well, I think the church stepped forward and paid for that. I think there were times in Paul's life where people that loved him, that had benefited from his ministry, supported him. But here, around, I guess, 55 AD or thereabouts, he's still able to work. He hasn't yet been detained. And he wants you to know that he did all these things with his own hands. Look at 35, please. For I've showed you all things. How that so labouring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of Lord Jesus. How he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This quote from Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is found nowhere else in New Testament, which shows once again that Paul was an apostle. And this scripture was given straight to Paul to go into Acts 20. And I think these words certainly sound like the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And yet it's not found in any of the Gospels or any other parts of the New Testament. But he tells you to support the weak, which I certainly think we should do. And I would say this, that this term, to support the weak, is probably, first of all, concerning weak Christians, uh, those that are feeble-minded, First Thessalonians chapter 5. And also, I would suggest to you that this would also be concerning those in society as well. We are told to feed the poor. We are told to show compassion to those that have less than ourselves. And the problem is that most churches do just that and neglect to preach the gospel. And that's why Patrick and I, when we go on the streets, we are very much doing the work of 10 churches sometimes. I don't say that to brag. I say it because it's a fact. We preach the gospel and we call people to repent. And sometimes I think folks may wonder, but do they do anything else? Do they feed people? Do they clothe people? And the answer is yes, we do. But the thing is, there are more churches so-called churches anyway, that do just that. And therefore I think in a strange sort of way that we compliment some of the dead churches in our town because we preach the gospel, which they don't. And therefore we can tell some of these people, and we have done over the years, that such and such a place will feed you, will clothe you, will help you to get free medical care, uh, or will help you with dental care, which isn't our ministry, that's not our remit. And yet I spent hours in the streets over the years, as I know Patrick has, Offering this type of advice to everyday people. And yet that's not our purpose. And if you were born again, that's not your purpose either. So I don't mind uh, sharing with you this morning that we do take care of the weak. As I'm sure you do as well. But the main purpose for those of us which are born again is to preach the gospel. And then take care of their physical needs. 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. A great picture of humility. And sometimes the simplest of things go such a long way. If you were to walk through your town and you saw somebody kneeling and praying, you might think that such a person was an eccentric. And maybe they were. Maybe they are. I remember some years ago seeing a man in Manchester carrying this huge cross. And uh, we were preaching. And I went over to him and I said, uh, what's all this about? And he told me he was going around the UK carrying a huge cross. And he had quite a crowd watching him. And we got some video of that if you want to watch it sometime. And... I commended him for it, but I said to him, out of interest, do you tell people to repent? Do you warn people about the coming judgment? Do you preach against sin? And he said, no, I don't do those things. I just carry the cross. I just preach the love of God. 
which is theatre, of course. I thought, what a great shame. You've got this huge cross, which is somewhat unusual, and yet you're not levelling with people. You're not giving them the whole message of the gospel, of the cross. 37, one more time. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him. So most of all, for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. 37 and 38 conclude his visit to Ephesus. And here they are sorrowing, weeping of course. They are embracing him, kissing him, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. I think Paul was the greatest man that ever lived. I do believe that. I think that he set the goal very high. He put the bar very high. And I'll tell you this, that it's very hard to be a Christian. In fact, it's almost impossible to be a Christian. And that's why I hold to eternal security. Because if you could lose your salvation, you would. But here Paul, as I say, has finished his briefing to the church at Ephesus. And he's warning them, 29 to 31, how false brethren are going to come and devour the flock. They were written to shreds, discard them, and leave them by the wayside. But my overall thoughts of Acts chapter 20 would be how the early church met on a Sunday, like today, how Paul would preach until midnight, something which you can't imagine today, and how the sign gifts are still up and running. Verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. And yet from memory, I think, 21 down to 28, there's only one more miracle, and that concerns a snake which bites the hand of Paul. And finally, from verses 27 down to 31, Paul is pretty much doing what Moses did. He's warning the church leaders in Ephesus and vicariously you and I that in the last days the church is going to go into apostasy. Israel went into apostasy uh, when Moses died. And when the apostles died, the church went into apostasy. In fact, even before the church uh, went into the second century, even when the apostles were still alive, there was a lot of heresy going around. And therefore, what was spoken of back in the Old Testament, once again comes to pass in the New Testament. Moses warned the children of Israel about idolatry, and idolatry they fell into. And Paul And also John the Apostle would warn the early church about idolatry and they too fell into the sin of idolatry. As Solomon would tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. So take all these verses together and I think you are clearly given a picture of, on the one hand, purity, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, a great warning that if you're not careful, you will fall into idolatry. As I say one more time, you may be saved, which is wonderful, but... That's no guarantee that you won't stray into error. Hence why you need the word of God to keep you on the straight and narrow, as they say. So that will conclude Acts chapter 20. And as always, these uh, verse-by-verse teachings are simply presented in an easy-to-understand manner. And as always, I hope you've been following along with me with your Bibles open. And uh, next week, we will pick it up in Acts chapter 21.